0: Christ, and that he is a solid rock? Amen. And isn't it a blessing that you're not the only one standing on Christ, but you can look around and hear the voices of others who are also standing on the solid rock? Amen. It is indeed a foundation for us to have and enjoy and share with others. But that's what we want to do as we meditate on God's word this morning. And so, because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bibles and open it to Psalm 16, Psalm 16, it's on page 478, Psalm 16, if you open right to the middle of your Bible, you might hit Psalms or Proverbs, if you're in Proverbs, just go to the left of Psalms, and go to the 16th Psalm, 16. 1-6. I will read the whole Psalm, 11 verses here, and then we will pray, and then meditate on this word together hear God's word from Psalm 16. A miktam of David. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names on my lips or with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, when my thoughts trouble me, I always let the Lord guide me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol, you will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us in all wisdom. Our Father in heaven, we now come to you and ask you to help us To not only understand this passage, but to feel the joy of this passage. We pray that the burdens on our hearts and on our shoulders would be lightened and lifted, even destroyed. Father, we pray that even more, that you would instill in us, or increase in us, a habit of rejoicing and resting on you, even in trial especially in trials. When we're broken, when we're anxious, when we're depressed, when we're discouraged, when we're stressed out, when we want to give up, we pray that you would instill an increase in us a habit of resting in you. Only your spirit can do that, Lord. We can't do that on our own. We are easily susceptible to our flesh, to this world, and to Satan. So we need your help. So help us now, we pray, for apart from you, we can do nothing. We need you. I need you to preach, Lord. We all need you to hear and to think and to grow. So bring the increase, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever been unsettled or discouraged by fear or by an enemy or by danger that was outside of your control? The answer is yes, you have been, right? All of us have been. Everyone has, both Christians and non-Christians. We easily and regularly get into (coughs) situations where we're overwhelmed and burdened and unsettled, which is why I want to tell you a story here as we begin about the prophet Elisha. I've been doing my devotions in 2 Kings, and in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a story in verses 8 through 23 about the prophet Elisha. Elisha... Did many, many miracles, just like his forerunner, Elijah. Elisha did many miracles during his ministry and saw many things and was prophetic. And so during the tension between the, the nation of Israel and Aram, Aram would invade Israel with their armies to, to take over certain strongholds. And every time Aram was mobilizing their soldiers to invade Israel, Elisha would go to – would send a messenger to the king and say, hey, king – they're about to hit this village. Go send protection there. So every time that Aram would invade, Israel already knew where they were coming and they would defend it and defeat Aram every single time. And so the king of Aram was saying, who in my kingdom is betraying us? We must have a what? A, tra- a, tra- a spy, right? A spy. We have a spy who is telling their king where we're going. Which one of you is betraying me? And so he's angry, he's looking around, he's starting to be suspicious of all of his, his leaders, his counselors, his aides, his, his, his military leaders. One of you guys is, is, is betraying me and is spying. And then someone stands up, raises their hand and says, no, no, king, nobody's spying. Israel has a prophet. And that prophet knows what you're thinking even in your bedroom. This prophet just knows what, what God is telling him. And so that's why... That's why we're not able to invade. So the king says, well, let's go kill this prophet then. And so he he mobilizes his military to go to Elisha's house. Imagine that. A military unit deployed. Send the whole army to kill one man in his house. And so the military heads over to Elisha's house. And they get there, and they're surrounding the house, getting mobilized and ready to invade and attack and destroy and kill Elisha. So Elisha's servant wakes up, you know, stretches, gets the eye boogers out of his eyes, looks out the window, closes the curtain, looks again, and, you know, wipes his eyes out, makes sure he's seeing things. There's, a, there's an army out there, and they're, they're getting ready to start launching arrows and kill us. They're getting ready, they're sharpening their swords, they're about to come, and they don't look happy. They look very aggressive. And so the servant runs to Elisha and says, Master, there's an army outside. He goes downstairs, opens the door, looks, closes the door, looks again. Master, there's an army outside. And so they go out, and it's not an understatement to say that the servant is stressed. He's unsettled. He's overwhelmed by fear. Overrun and his heart is unstable. And so him and his master go and they look out at this army, and he looks at his master, and his master is just calm. It's like he's just waking up, it's just another day. And the servant doesn't ask, What's going on? Master, there's an army here. And so Elisha just says, he just maybe closes his eyes, maybe looks at them and says, Lord. Open my servant's eyes. And then all of a sudden, the servant looks out. And you know what he sees? Behind this military of Aram, he sees the armies of heaven. Angels. The chariots of God surrounding the military of Aram. Now, when the servant saw it, do you think he was still scared? No. He wasn't scared anymore. So then the army starts coming in to invade and Elisha just says, God, blind them. And they all get blind. And then the story continues, but you can read that on your own at home for homework, okay? That's in 2 Kings chapter six. The point here is that Elisha was in a place of glad security. Can you get to the place of being like Elisha? Where you rest in glad security? The servant was not in glad security. He was very insecure and unsettled until God opened his eyes and all of a sudden around he sees the military of heaven and all of a sudden he was now in a place of glad security. We all want to live in a place of glad security. That's where we want to live. That's where we want to live. And this song, God wants us to live there and he gave us this song so that we would live in a place of glad security. Not by taking the army away, not by eliminating the threat, but by overwhelming our hearts to see greater things so that we are not threatened and unsettled in the ways we would be otherwise. Because this world is broken. You live in a broken world. Your bodies are broken. If you're over 40, like me, you feel your body breaking down. There's sin in our world. We have demons that are very active. In this world and even here among us, among this people, right here in this room. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We have an enemy, Satan, who is roaring around like a lion seeking someone to devour. And he's greater than us and stronger than us. And then we have our own sins. Our own flesh to deal with. Our own doubts. Even when we know the Bible, our knowledge of the Bible is dysfunctional. That's why, we always, that's why we often do what we know we shouldn't do, right? We know better, but we don't really know it the way we ought to know it. And so our knowledge is dysfunctional. So yeah, we, we're easily insecure and unsettled. So we're worried, we're anxious, we're restless, we're discouraged, we're deflated. And the good news is we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in worry. We don't have to live in defeated discouragement. We can come to a place of glad security in Christ. Actually, that is my main prayer and goal for you from this sermon is that as we meditate on Psalm 16, that you would come to a place of glad security in Christ, even in the middle of your troubles. And if not, maybe my more modest goal is that you would at least take some steps towards coming to a place of glad security in Christ. So how? How do we come to a place of glad security in Christ? Through Psalm 16. Psalm 16 helps us. It gives us four habits to cultivate in our lives. There's four dispositions here for us to own and and grow in so that we are regularly secure, gladly in Jesus. Just so you know, I'm aiming at verse nine here. My prayer and this goal is coming from verse nine. Therefore, my heart is glad. There's the word glad and my whole being rejoices, my body also rests securely, glad security. Not just mentally, not just in the heart, right? Not just, not just in the soul, but even in the body. You don't know the body keeps the score, you've heard that before, right? I had my first panic attack last fall. Thought I was having a heart attack, didn't know what was happening, woke up with a sharp pain. I was like, oh, I'm about to die right here. And Francis is asleep, and I was like, I don't wanna wake her up and disturb her, you know? <laughs> Jaws tightening, chest is caving in, my heart is beating, so I don't know what is happening. You know, once that calmed down, I was able to get on my phone and try to look some things up. But what was happening, I wasn't even stressed. Like if you would've asked me that week, how am I doing, I wouldn't have said that I was stressed. But I had been stressed for a long time. And the body keeps the score. Even if mentally I was dwelling securely, my body was not dwelling securely. But here, there's a way to have glad security where your heart is glad and your body rests securely. How? How? How do we get there? All right, let's think about it. Number 1, verses 1 through 4, pray for protection. That's what that's what David's doing here. He's praying for protection. Look at verse 1. Protect me, God. That's a prayer. God protect me. <coughs> We, we, we move beyond well wishes as Christians, right? If you're in the world, you might think a tragedy happens very tragically. There was the shootings here in Alhambra and then in the Bay Area, half, was it Half Moon Bay? Um, that second shooting the, the next day, last two, two weekends ago. And then we have an earthquake around the world, on the other side of the world, where we have loved ones who are there participating in certain helps there and relief in that, in that area of the world. And we feel... We feel the stress. And then people say, oh, our thoughts and prayers are with them. And then you hear the atheist say, what good are thoughts and prayers? That's nothing. Go help. Give money. Go away with your thoughts and prayers. As Christians, we don't subscribe to that way of thinking. We know that prayer does something. Because there's someone on the other side of that, that request, right? We have a God who hears our prayers. That's why Jesus told us to ask. And you will... Receive, Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Because God hears and God acts. So why should we ask God for protection? Look at verse 1b. For I take refuge in you. And verse 2. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. So why should we ask God for protection, even with some degree of confidence? Because we take refuge in God. And look at verse 2. He's our Lord. And you have nothing good besides him. All of our goodness is in you, God. That's why we're asking you, God, for protection. Because all of our goodness is in you. We take refuge in you. You're our shelter in the storm. Even now, as, as we're praying for those in Turkey and Syria, as the, as the earthquake has toppled buildings, it is snowing, or it's been snowing over there. And what, are they, what do they need? They don't just need food and clothing. They need shelter. They need a refuge from the the temperature and the weather that will kill them, right? And who is our refuge? Who is our shelter? God, you're our shelter. That's why we're asking you for protection, because you are our refuge. You're our shelter. You're our safe place. And then verse 2 I said to Yahweh, You are my Lord. You're my master. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. And here, David is saying, God, I don't have two masters. I don't serve my job and you. I don't serve my church and you. I don't serve pleasures and you. I don't serve money and you. I don't serve my self centered aims and you. I have one master and that's you. So, Lord, hear me. Protect me. There's pressure. David was on the run for a large chunk of his life from King Saul. He had no place to live. Where's his refuge? Where's his shelter? He would go hide in caves, but then Saul would find out he's in that cave and he'd have to go to another cave. So, where was his refuge? in God even later when, when David was king and secured the kingdom he still went on the run again from his son Absalom and was on the run even in his own palace he wasn't safe he had to run out of his palace because he was getting killed where was his refuge? his palace? his bedroom? no his refuge ultimately is in God his Lord and then look at verse 2 the second part of verse 2 this is an astonishing statement I have nothing good besides you. Is that an exaggeration? <clears throat> hyperbole? I have nothing good besides you, God. Lord, you need to protect me in my stressful situation, on my deathbed, because I have nothing good besides you. How many of you think that's overstatement? Raise your hand. He's, just, I mean, not, not in a wrong way, but it's hyperbole. He's just exaggerating here for effect. How many of you think, no, that's literally actually true? I have nothing good besides God. Okay. Yeah, I think here, and, and just to be fair, it's the psalms, so there is poetic effect. It, it could be hyperbole. That, that does happen in the Bible a lot. I don't think that's the case here, because um, <laughs> it, it is a true statement. I have nothing good besides God. Why? We're, we went through James. James, we're going through James. James 1, 17 says, "Every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above, from the Father of lights." with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I don't know which translations those are, but I'm sure that's not the CSB, but something like that. But every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from God, to you. <laughs> not only that, all of the goodness that you experience is only good because it is connected to God. All of the goodness you experience, Christian or non-Christian, every good you experience is only good because it's connected to the true God. That's why Satan can't make evil appealing without taking a piece of the goodness of God's gifts to make you want it. Satan doesn't just create evil as appealing because there's no appeal in evil in and of itself. He has to mix it and distort it with some of the goodness of God that God has created for you to enjoy for you to be tempted to want it. You have no good besides God. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to tell you, you have nothing good besides God. No, I got my friends. Well, why do you like your friends? Is it because they're mean to you? And they always pick on you? And they put you down? Is that why you, have, why you love your friends? No, that's not why you enjoy your friends. You tolerate that in your friends. You like your friends because they're nice to you. Because they're kind to you. Because they care about you. You know why they care about you? You know what that shows? That's an echo of who? Of God. They're made in God's image. PG, I don't have any friends. I like my job. I like my work. I have goodness in my job. My job is good. I love the work I do. Well, who created work? Who created you to work? Who created work to be pleasurable even even if there's thorns and thistles? God did. Who are you feeling like when you do a job well done? You feel like God feels. We can say that. Every good you experience, social good, well, PJ, I like my health. I feel, I feel strong. I feel healthy. I like how I feel when I work out and exercise. Why? Who made your body? What is your body and who are you made in the image of? Every single good you experience is only good because it's connected to God. You have no good besides God. David knows this. David knows this. All our good is in God. There's no good beyond God. There's no good detached from God. There's no good above God. And so if I need preservation, if I need protection, if I need the goodness of safety and glad security, I have to go to God. All my goodness is in God, including glad security. So that's why we go to God confidently, because all of our good is in God. Now, who who wrote the psalm? David David wrote the psalm. Is David a sinner? Yes. Yes, and the wages of sin is what? (coughs) Death. So what does he deserve before God? death eternal death in hell forever is that good is that a good experience to go to hell forever no that's the the worst of all experiences to go to hell forever how can david say i have good in a holy god when david's a sinner deserving god's good wrath god's righteous judgment how can a sinner adulterer liar self-centered man like david how can he say that i have good in god He can because, even though he's a sinner, there is the the good God has done good things and he's given us the good news of those good things. What has God done? God has saved sinners by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead. God has sent a substitute. To take the penalty for our sins on himself. Now David lived a thousand years before Jesus. So he didn't know about Jesus by name. And he did not know that Jesus died on a cross in Jerusalem. But he did know about the day of atonement. He didn't know about the sacrificial lamb. He didn't know about the daily sacrifices. Where you would slit the throat of the lamb or the goat. And confess all of your sins. And the priest would say that your sins are now on that goat. And you're now forgiven of your sins David. Your sins are now covered in the death of a lamb or a goat or a bull a sin offering. God is a forgiving God. God is a gracious God. God is a good God. He's good to sinners who deserve hell. So, if you're not a Christian, I have good for good news for you. God can be, he already has been good to you, but he can be good to you forever and save you from hell and save you from your judgment and save you from your selfishness. He can save you from yourself. He can save you from the wrath of God that you deserve. And he will if you repent from your sins and repent from your own goodness and trust in Jesus Christ alone. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. And he is the treasure. So if you're not a Christian, thank you for being here. God is holding his hand out to you right now and saying, come to me. Call on Jesus to save you. I will save you. I will be good to you. You can be free from guilt, and you can also be free from the pressure to not be guilty, but to make it on your own. You don't need that pressure, and you can't satisfy that pressure anyways. You can only be delusional and think you've satisfied that pressure. But you can be free from guilt and free from the pressure to free yourself from guilt and let Jesus do it all. All right, let's continue here. Another reason, a second reason here why why David should praise for protection confidently is in verses 3 and 4. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Why can David, and why should we pray to God with confidence that he will protect us? Because our delight, God, God protect me because my delight is in your people. I will not take the names of those who are not your people on on my lips. But your people, not only will I take their name on my lips, I love them. I delight in them. All my delight is in your people. Now that one might be hyperbole. Maybe just a little bit. All your delight, David, is in in God's people. But it's still true. If you're a Christian, we delight in God's people. We love God's people. We find joy. Just look around at each other. You find joy in these people. You delight in them. You take pleasure in them. There's a sense of satisfaction that you get when you interact with or when you see or when you're in the presence of these people. I know that's true for me. I love these people. I love you guys. We love each other as a church, right? We love God's people. This is Psalm 1, 1 and 2, right? What's Psalm 1, 1? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in a group of mockers. He's not sitting with them, he's not standing with them, he's not walking with them. His delight is in the Lord's instruction, and on his law he meditates day and night. Day and, night. and when you when you meditate on God's instruction, you not only delight in God's instruction, you delight, you delight in God and you delight in the people who delight in God and in God's instruction. One of the, I mean, the greatest thing I love about you, BBC family, is that you love Jesus. That's the the greatest thing I love. That's what makes you most lovely to me is that you trust Jesus. You rest in Jesus. You You have radically reoriented your life to seek first Christ's kingdom and righteousness. That's what makes you beautiful, that's what makes you lovely. That's what, that's what brings me joy. That's what John said in, in, in second or Third John, "I have no greater joy than this to see my children walking in the truth." Don't you love it when you see Christians grow? You've been praying for one of the members and they repent from sin and they confess sin and they bring it to light, and you see them take another step towards Jesus? Does that bring you joy or delight? For all God's people, it does. All of our delight is in them. This is Romans 12:1 and2, right? Be a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so you love those people who are not conformed to this world, but transformed in Christ by the renewing of their mind. Why? Why do we love God's people? Because our closest company cultivates our communion with our King. Right? Our closest company cultivates our communion with our King. Have you ever heard this little quip that You are the sum of the five closest people to you. Have you guys heard that before? That might be a little bit of an overstatement. But but think about the people you spend the most time with. The five people you spend the most time with. You reflect them in large measure in your life. Not just time, like quantity of time, but like invested time, where you love spending time with those five people. Do you notice that you're kind of like them in a lot of ways? You become like each other, sort of. Right, And that's why David loves God's people. And that's why I love you. Because you help me love Jesus more than I would without him. That as we spend time together, we help each other to our greatest joy. Jesus. So we can trust God to preserve us and protect us as we pray to him. Because he gives us all the goodness we have in Christ. And he has made us part of his covenant people. So church family, Christian, pray to, pray to God and ask God for protection. King Saul didn't pray to God for protection when King Saul was distressed. He went to a spirit medium to consult the dead and raise up Samuel, if you know that story. David, in contrast to King Saul, King David looks to God for protection. Another application for us as a church is pray for each other. Pray for each other, intercede for each other, and specifically according to this verse, pray. what should we pray for each other? Pray for what? Look at verse 1. Pray for what? Protection. Protection. Does your church family need protection? Didn't Jesus teach us to pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. one. Because our people are endangered to the evil one. Do You pray for the protection of your fellow church members. Pray for protection. Pray together. Share prayer requests with each other. Go to prayer meeting on, on Sunday nights. And if you're, not, if you're discouraged in your Christian life, let me just encourage you. God hears your prayers. He will answer your prayers based on Christ, not based on you. So call out to Jesus. Call out to Jesus for protection because he cares for you. All right, that's the first way, first habit to cultivate is pray for protection if you're going to come to a place of glad security in Christ. How? First, pray for protection. Secondly, embrace Your share. Embrace your share or embrace your portion. I was talking to a friend, or not a friend, actually just an employee from Apple as I was buying a computer for our home, a desktop for our home, and we were talking about, about, about it, and he was talking about how long he's worked for Apple. He's like, oh yeah, I've been working for Apple since like 2000. I was like, oh man. I was like, you must have a lot of stock in Apple, and you must be very well off because you've been working there since 2000. And he was like, yeah, I, well, I am, you know? I mean, because they, you can take part of your paycheck and invest in Apple, and if you're doing that pre-iPhone, right, if you've, if you've been working for Apple pre-iPhone, and you've been investing in stocks for five years before the iPhone came out, your share, your portion in Apple is pretty good in 2023. You are, you're probably set for the rest of your life. And, you know, he can't help but smile when he thought about it, you know, when I brought it up. <laughs> He gladly embraces his share, right? He gladly embraces his portion in Apple. Some of you wish you got a job at Apple many years ago now, right? Why couldn't I see it? And this is what God wants us to do, to embrace your portion and your share, because your share is greater than that man's share in Apple. Why? Why can't we be encouraged in difficulty? What, what share do we have? Look at verse 5. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. So you're my share, you're my portion, you are my cup of blessing. You hold my future. Why should you be encouraged in difficulty when you're stressed out? Because God is yours. God is your portion. God is your share. God is your cup of blessing. And we learn later on, God holds your future. Now, when they talk about shares and portions, if you're, if you're in the land of Israel, what was your share? Where did you, where did you get your share and portion from? It wasn't like a free country where you just purchase land anywhere and just buy it in whatever city you want to buy. Where did you get your land from? You guys said land. Where did you get it, though? Because it wasn't for sale. Your dad? Your ancestral line, right? There were ancestral lines for the tribes of Judah. And then your families were given allotments, portions, or shares in the promised land where God lives. And so you received a share. All the tribes received a share of the land except for one, one tribe. Do you remember that tribe? What tribe? Levi. They didn't get any land. They got ripped off. Or did they get ripped off? They didn't get ripped off. Deuteronomy 18, verses 1 and 2 says this. The Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, will have no portion or inheritance with Israel. Hey, that's messed up. No portion or inheritance with Israel. They will eat the Lord's food offerings. That is their inheritance. You just get the offerings. Furthermore, verse 2, although Levi has no inheritance among his brothers, the Lord is his inheritance as he promised him. Levi's inheritance, the tribe of Levi, they don't get land. They don't want some land, right? They get God. They get God. Their hope was not just in land. Their hope was in God who dwelt as Lord over the land. I mean, how cool would it be to have a, you know, I mean, we live in L.A. County, right? Us pastors in L.A., the El- Shepherd L.A. pastors, we're praying for our people to not move to Texas, right? <laughs> we're praying for our people not to move to Tennessee because you, you think about, you think about, I mean, you know, there's the, the, the Texas, right? There is the, uh, the, the exit from California where people are, you know, like the, the homes in California and the prices in California I was talking to a pastor the other day who was thinking about moving out of California because of the prices. The, the, a pastor was thinking about moving, you know? Um, how cool would it be, like, if God just, if all, of our, if all of us had a portion of one acre of land here in L.A. County with a house already built on it? How many of you would take that? I mean, I'm just trying to take a house, right? I just want a house. But an acre? Man, a whole acre of land, like, here in L.A. County? Yes, I would take that. Thank you very much, Right? We would delight in that. We would embrace that share. And yet you have something more. You have God himself. You don't have just a house that will last you 20 years or 30 years or 50 years. You have a God and a king who is your portion who, who goes ahead of you, he said to his people. I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again to you and take you to myself so that where I am, you will also be. You have something better than one acre in Los Angeles. You have a place with your king, who is your portion, Jesus Christ, forever and ever and ever. Let's, let's read on verse 6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. That's right. Like, if you have an inheritance with Jesus, if you have a share with Jesus, if you have a promised place on the new earth, the boundary lines of your life have fallen for you in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful what? Inheritance. inheritance. I am going to inherit something and I have a beautiful inheritance. And when he says the boundary lines, the, the, the portion of my place is great, what he's saying is, man, God is good because God has given me himself. In Acts 17, we learn that God has dictated the boundary lines of where you would live. The time when you would be born, the time you would die. The places you would, you would go, and now on our, on our iPhones, it actually traces where you can go, right? So you could actually just kind of trace your actual line of where you move around, which is kind of crazy, but for God, all of those lines are already set by God. And you know what David says? Those boundary lines for you have fallen where? In what? In pleasant places. In pleasant places. In the TV show, The Office, Dwight Schrute is part of a family. And there was uh, one of my favorite episodes or one of my most memorable jokes of the many jokes in that show was a time where he was about to become a father, most likely, though it wasn't proven yet that he was the actual dad. But he was excited that he's going to be a dad. He was getting a promotion. He was going to get a team to run and, and take, pick his own team. He gets to prove himself to corporate and, and build out his career. And he was so excited in the office. So he's giving his interview and he says, like, and he says quote, The Schroots have a word for when everything in a man's life comes together perfectly. What's that word? in schlag. Everyone say in Schlock." when everything in a man's life comes together perfectly. And he said, I am so deep in perfection schlag. I am so deep in perfection schlag. It also has a second meaning. He said, perfect pork anus. But that's not what he was talking about here. But but he was so deep in perfection schlag. And what I want to say is, even though that's, I mean, yes. he was sexually immoral. He's going to have a child out of wedlock. He's in sin, all that stuff going on with Dwight Schrute. But what I want to say to you, if you're a Christian, is for you, Christian, you are in in schlock. Like, the boundary lines of your life have fallen in pleasant places. God is good to you. God is so good to you. God is always good to you. God is only good to you. I mean, we're sinners who deserve hell. And there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Even over your trials right now, the struggles in your life that are causing you stress and unsettlement where you don't have that glad security. What David is telling you, what I'm telling you, is that you are in a place where the boundary lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. God's plan is perfect for his people in Christ. His plan is perfect for you. So if you're like, God, if I were doing it, I'd do it a lot different. I got other things I would change in my life. If I could be sovereign just for a day and and just tweak the plan, would you have any tweaks for God? I have some suggestions for what God might do differently. But we know that God is wiser than us, right? We know that God is better than us, right? So therefore, we can rest in God's plan. Look at verse six, the end of verse six. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance And so we sing songs like, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou, you, thou mine inheritance. When? Right now and always. God, you're my inheritance. I embrace my share. I embrace my portion. It is good for me. You are heirs, brothers and sisters. You have an inheritance. God has granted you a land of promise because he is your father and Christ has shared his inheritance with you. As his brothers and sisters, he's given you himself. He cannot give you more. Do you understand that? God cannot give you more than he's already given you. That's what Romans 8.32 says. He who who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Paul says, how will he not also with Jesus graciously give you what? Everything. All things. Everything you need. Every single thing that is good for you, God will give it to you. You know why? He gave you who? He gave you Jesus. And if he gave you Jesus, he's going to give you the grace for your trial today. He's going to give you grace for that hard relationship you're in. He's going to give you grace for that difficult, awkward, co- awkward conversation you need to have. He's going to give you grace for the financial stresses and the financial needs you need to meet in your life here. He's going to give you grace. And he's going to give you what you need to face death and your, your ill health. Or, for some of us, very soon we're going to find out that we have ill health and a terminal situation. Probably. Probably. And in that moment God will give you the grace you need He'll give you everything He needs He he can't withhold anything from you He doesn't withhold any good It says in Psalm 84 Chris read that last Sunday I think As the call to worship He does not withhold any good From those who walk uprightly There's not one good thing God holds back from you So don't be like Judas Did Judas think God was holding something good from him? Yeah So what did he take? He's like well I might as well get as much as I can So what did he get? 30 pieces of what? Of silver. Because he thought God was giving him the short end of the stick. He did not want to embrace his share of what he would have had in Jesus. That's a picture of all of our investments when we choose against Jesus, right? You choose against Jesus in the decisions you're making today? You're just choosing eternal folly, eternal shame and damnation. So remind each other of the future inheritance. If you're not a Christian, I just want to let you know that God is inviting you to the new earth. He's inviting you to have a place among his people. He's inviting you to have him as your share, as your inheritance, and have that hope. So church family, pay special attention to the lines we sing to each other when we sing about heaven. When we sing on that day, we will praise you as we lift our voices one. When we sing about the second coming of Jesus, lo he comes with clouds descending. So we sing about the second coming. Look each other in the eye and tell each other, you have an inheritance. Jesus is coming. Baranatha, come Lord Jesus. He's coming for you. He's coming for me. We, this world is not our home. We can trust him as we move forward. All right, so if we're going to come to a place of glad security, we need to pray for protection. Secondly, we need to embrace our share. Thirdly, we need to resolve to worship. Resolve to worship God. Resolve to worship God when you're being chased out of your house, King David, chased out by his son Absalom. Re- rejoice in God and re- resolve to worship God when he found out the cave you're hiding in, David, and he's about to kill you. Now you've got to run again. <clears throat> resolve to worship God when you find out you're dying. Resolve to worship God when you've sinned and you've been a hypocrite and God has convicted you. Resolve to worship God when you get caught in your sin and you're now ashamed and embarrassed because someone caught you sinning. Resolve to worship God when you come to a Sunday gathering. Resolve to worship God when life around you is falling apart. That's what David is doing here. He is resolved to worship God. How? How do we see this here? Look at verse 7. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. There's worship right there. I will bless the Lord. I will praise the Lord. I will rest in the Lord. I will honor the Lord. I will ascribe glory to the Lord. I will bless the Lord. I will thank the Lord. Why? What does the Lord do? What does he do in verse 7? He counsels me. When? Even at night when my thoughts trouble me. Even at night when my thoughts trouble me. So I was reading this passage with Jeff and Jabez this week as we were out at the Simeon Trust. And Jeff Mattai said, getting to this verse, I said, what stands out to you, Jeff said, when I read verse 7, even at night when my thoughts trouble me, what that makes me feel for me and everyone who struggles with anxiety or stress or trouble at night is that God sees me. God sees you. When you're at night, when you're there on your bed at night and your thoughts are troubling you and you can't sleep and you're struggling and you're scared and you're fearful and you're stressed and you feel like you have (laughs) nothing secure, there's no solid rock around you. It's all sinking sand. God sees you. He cares. He counsels you. He puts rock under your feet so that you can stand On Christ the Psalm. And so David praises him for his goodness, his kindness, his character, his attention. God, you see me, you counsel me there. And therefore, in verse eight, David says, "I mean, because God cares and He counsels me, and He's there when my thoughts are troubling me at night. I'll always let the Lord guide me. Why? Because He's at my right hand. He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken." Now, when you think about someone at your right hand, you think of your, your closest companion, right? If you're, in, if you're in a battle, in war, you held your shield on your left hand and your sword in your right hand. And so if you're battling, your, 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 your shield is to defend you. Your sword is for offense, right? But your right, your right side is more vulnerable. Why? Because your shield is where? It's on your left side. But guess what? The man on your right has his shield where? On his left. And so he protects you, and he's there by you in battle with you at your right hand. And guess who is? There's no better soldier to have at your right hand wielding a sword and holding a shield on your vulnerable side than who? Than God. And if God is at my right hand, if God is protecting my weak side if he's right beside me and he hasn't left me, if he's even when I'm on my bed at night and I'm stressed out and I feel stressed and troubled, he's counseling me, he's speaking to me, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to worship him. When I don't understand what's going on in my life, when everything is falling apart, I'm going to trust him. (laughs) As the song says, and I quote often, God is too good to be mistaken. God is too wise, or God is too... God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you can't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, when you don't understand, trust his heart. Trust his heart. And so David here in verse 8, he says, I will always let the Lord guide me. I am focused on the Lord. I will follow Jesus. I will keep following Yahweh the Lord. And that's what we're saying when we sing the song, Be Thou My Vision. That's what we're saying. God, be my vision. Be Thou my vision. Be in front of me. When I look forward, who should I be seeing? Lord, You be my vision. Be Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by what? By night. When your thoughts trouble you. What's my best thought at night, when my thoughts trouble me? Thou, you are my best thought. By day or by night. Waking or sleeping, your presence, my light. You're at my right hand. You're protecting me. You're guiding me. You're counseling me. You are my light. David knew that Yahweh was always with him, so he was not shaken, but confident, even in trials and even being overwhelmed. The peace that passes all understanding could guard his heart and mind, even when the child is still there. So church, so Christian, praise the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Follow the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Make him your vision. Not just after your trial is over, but in the middle of your trial. And church family, let's keep gathering together. Keep worshiping together. Keep singing and praying and praising and listening to God's word together. Keep sitting down next to each other. Keep greeting each other. You know why? Because when you do these things, you encourage others to worship the Lord in the middle of their trial. That's what you do. You strengthen the worship of others. So thank you for coming today. All of you who are here. Thank you for being here this Sunday. Thank you for waking up, getting ready. Some of you didn't feel like coming today. But you're here. Thank you for coming. Because even if you didn't feel like being here, you're blessing us. You're helping us resolve to worship the Lord. You know, I read... um, What's the difference between attending a comedy show and watching it on Netflix? Cause I'm writing this article on like the importance of proximity and being at church. And there are three things in this article about the importance of focusing, or the importance of being like in a comedy show versus watching it on Netflix. And part of the point is, his first one is that laughter is contagious, right? And so when you laugh with other people and other people are laughing, even if it's not as funny to you, you laugh more if you're around people. That's why when we tell funny stories about things in the past, we might start laughing really hard. And the person who's listening is like, you're like at this level. And if they were there, they'd be at this level too. But they're like at this level of laughter, right? And so we we close the story with saying the phrase, you had to what? You had to? You had to be there. Because if you were there, you would feel the contagiousness of the contagion of the laughter. And so what I want to say is that worship is contagious. Treasuring Jesus is contagious. Repentance is contagious. Humility is contagious. Joy and gratitude is contagious. So when you come here, you are spreading it just by being here and it's being spread to you as well. That was the first. The second one is that it's an immersive experience. Remember when we were at COVID and we're watching (laughs) sermons online and I was teaching online and we're, and we're singing. Do you remember when we were singing online and we had like the words there and you couldn't even hear each other? We tried to hear, you could see people singing but their mouths are off with the words because of the <laughs> Zoom timing, right? And, but do you remember how, how terrible that was compared to singing here together? It's an immersive experience to be here together. Even when kids are crying, actually. That's all part of the immersive experience. And that was the second thing in, there, in that article. It's that you're immersed together in worshiping Jesus here. And so you, you hear the nuances. You, you hear the word better when you're here than when you're not here, right? So that's at least two of the three of, of, of what, what the advantage is. So the point here, I want to just encourage you. Thank you for being here. Keep coming to the gatherings because we're resolving to worship the Lord together. Okay, lastly. So if you're going to come to a place of glad security, cultivate the habit of prayer for protection, embracing your share, resolving to worship, and lastly, declaring your glad security. You got to declare it or as some false sections of the church false churches say some false teachers say name it and claim it that's what I'm telling you to do here this morning I'm telling you to claim it okay not in a false gospel sense but that's what David's doing here look at verse 9 he's claiming it he's just going to declare it my heart is glad my whole being rejoices my body also rests securely zeal listen zeal my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices and my body rests securely. He just claims it. Now is David's body always resting securely? Is his heart always glad? No. Is his whole being always rejoicing? No. But, but he knows that as you claim the goodness of God and God's work in your life, you move in that direction. As you say those words, it's not just a claimant with no foundation. He's saying God's at my right hand, right? He says, therefore, because he's at my right hand, because he counsels me at night, because he guides me, because he's my portion, because the boundary lies have fallen, fallen for me in pleasant places, because he's my inheritance, because he's given me a people who's his delight, because all of the goodness that I have is in God and I have no good besides God. Because of that, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My whole body rests securely. Because God is good. I'm not just claiming it out of nowhere. I'm claiming it in Christ because God has revealed it to me. So we go back to God as our protector and as our portion and as our present and helpful guide. And he gives him more reasons why he declares this. Look at verse 10. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You're not going to leave me for dead. There's hope after death. You're not going to abandon me to hell and to the place of the dead. You will not allow your faithful one to see Decay. What does that mean? Now, Peter picks up on this in Acts chapter 2, and Ryan read it for us, Acts chapter 2, verses 23 to 32. Peter's going to come and preach on this passage tonight, so come back tonight. Paul also quotes this verse in Acts 13. And I was listening to a sermon on, on Psalm 16, and it hit me when I was listening to The, the preacher didn't put this out there, but it, when he said it, it sparked a thought in my mind, which was... Psalm 16 do you guys realize that we're, we've been meditating on Psalm 16 for the last 52 minutes and 29 seconds according to my timer and, and in this meditation do you realize that this was the first this text was in the first sermon ever preached post Pentecost we're meditating on a text that's the first sermon ever preached among Christians on this side of the new covenant when the Holy yeah. Spirit came down this is an important passage it's a very important passage verse 10 is very important why? why? Because it says you will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Did, did David's body decay? At least, is it decaying now? It's gone. It's decayed, right? For now. It will be resurrected. But right now his body is decayed. In one sense, it won't see decay finally because David will rise from the dead. But Jesus knew because Jesus talks about the David-Christ connection in Psalm 110, which is also quoted in Acts chapter 2. And then Peter learned and then Paul learned from Jesus and from the apostles. Paul learned from the apostles and from Jesus that... This is not just talking about David. It's actually talking about who? Jesus. Jesus Jesus would not only die for our sins. Did Jesus' body decay? No, No, it never did. Why? His body was laid in the tomb on a Friday, and it was raised on a Sunday, on the third day. Not even three full days, just on the third day. At sunrise, or before sunrise, Jesus' body was raised from the dead. And so now we know, by God's clear revelation, that we will rise from the dead. That's why your body can rejoice. That's why your body can rest secure. That's why you can have glad security. Okay? And then verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. You revealed to me the path of life. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. God revealed to you, reveals to David, the path of what? The path of life. The way of life. The way to get life. The way to have life. The way that is life. Does that remind you of any verse that Jesus spoke? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's why Christians were called those who are on the way, those who are on the path, because God reveals the path of life. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the path, and I am the life, and I'm the truth. Follow me, rest in me. And David says, you've revealed that to me. You reveal to me the path of life. God has given us his word, his truth. And what's at the end of this path? And even in the middle of this path? You reveal to me the path of life in your presence is what? Abundant, abundant joy. Some translations say fullness of joy, right? And I used to like fullness of joy better. Actually, I did all the way up until like this week. Even last week when I, or I preached this from the ESV two weeks ago, I, I like fullness of joy. Because what's fuller than full? I mean, it's full, but what's abundant? It's overflowing, right? Abundant is like not just full, but it's full to overflowing. In God's presence is abundant joy. Not, he's just not going to fill you up with joy. It's abundant. And in his right, um, at his right hand are eternal pleasures. What's longer than eternal pleasures? Is there anything longer than eternal pleasures? Lasting longer? No. That's as long. So as full as it can be to overflowing, that's your joy in God. Your pleasures are not short-lived, which is all sinful pleasures are short-lived. They are pleasurable. They're just short-lived. But it's pleasures that last forever. God gives us that. That's what He reveals to us. And so, uh, Revelation 22 says this: There will be no longer any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city on the new earth, and His servants will worship Him. And here's what here's your future. Here's the eternal pleasures for you. It says they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. You have eternal pleasures reigning with God. Let me just say one more thing about this because um, Clark and and, um, Josh said that it was helpful for them. Um, When you think about your fullness of joy, and you've heard me say this analogy before, but think of your fullness of joy in heaven or on the new earth like a balloon. If I blow a balloon up and it's this big, is it full of air? Yes. Yes. Can it get even more full? Yeah, you blow it more and it becomes full. So when you're in heaven or on the new earth, you will be full of joy. But guess what? The next day, you'll have more joy. And the next day, you'll have more joy. And the next day, you'll have more joy. Such that you'll you'll actually increase in joy forever. And because you're not God, you're not infinite. You'll You'll always have finite joy. But it will keep on increasing. Forever, fullness of joy, ever increasing joy with God and with his people on the new earth forever and ever and ever. So you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be dominated by worry. You don't need to be self-loathing about your failures and your sin and your guilt. You don't have to stay defeated and discouraged. Ultimately, you can rest in Jesus. You are a holy one. You're not abandoned. God is present with you and constantly and specifically revealing himself to you and the path of life to you. God is not absent from you nor silent toward you. So let me recap the main goal and we'll bring it to a close here. Come to a place of glad security in Christ. How? Pray for protection. Embrace your share. Thirdly, resolve to worship. And lastly, declare your glad security in Christ. And we need to do this regularly, but if we're honest and we look in the mirror, we know that we don't pray for protection the way we should, right? We don't pray faithfully. Not only that, have you, I mean, I know this is true of me, have you belittled your portion and in your inheritance? And instead of thanking God for your sharing, you've complained about what you don't have? I've complained. Have you been overwhelmed with worry and anxiety and fear and distraction? Because of these sins of worry and prayerlessness and complaining rather than embracing your share, what do we deserve? We deserve God's judgment. We don't deserve glad security. We deserve to be insecure. We deserve to be in dangerous places. We deserve to be in the valley of the shadow of death by ourselves. We actually deserve to be in the place punished under eternal death forever, in hell forever. We don't deserve to be in a place of glad security. We deserve to be in a place of God's wrath. There's only one person who deserved to be in a a place of glad security. And yet, after asking his father three times to avoid the valley of the shadow of death, to ask the father three times to avoid the place of vulnerability and danger and death and judgment and wrath, when he asked for this cup to be passed from him, and God said no, he marched right to the place where there would not be glad security. He went to the cross, despising the shame, being mocked and embarrassed. And then having God's wrath poured out on him on the cross, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He died for our sins and rose from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of God in a place of glad security so that you can experience and have glad security. So at the end of the day, what I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, is pray to Jesus, look to Jesus. Embrace Jesus. Declare your goodness in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Look to Jesus, and that will help you move to a place of glad security. Father, take these many words and hide your word in our heart that we would not sin against you. So we pray that whatever is true and faithful to your word here, whatever your spirit intended for us to hear, whatever we're going through right now for each member here, we pray that you would press these words the words of Psalm 16 into our hearts. Move us to a place of glad security, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's take a, a few minutes now to share with someone around you something that God pressed on you from the passage or from the message. If you are a guest here and you feel a little awkward about that, you don't have to share anything. Just say, I don't want to share anything. Just listen in on a conversation, okay? So let's do that now for the next three or four minutes. I was going to ask that boy. <laughs> Sounds um, a little bit Unique? sounds kind of cool. So I'm like, that's why you want to do it. I was like, oh, okay. Okay, everyone, just go ahead and grab your bulletin. Let's turn to page 12. Let's stand together. Let's all stand together. Grab your bulletin. Turn to page 12. Very fitting to a psalm. We've meditated, we spent this hour meditating on Psalm 16, which is in large measure a prayer. So sometimes we sing Psalms.